Psalm 91. You know, we come here each week to try to gain knowledge. To try to learn about our God. And to learn who and what He is and what these words that He has given to us will mean for our life. The Word of God is the most important thing that there is in the world. You do not live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This psalm is that important to us today as well. This is the most important thing you can do not only for yourself, but for your family, for your loved ones, and for your friends, is to get this word into them so that it will help them. We have to learn Bible doctrine. For in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, the prophet there writes that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you reject the knowledge of me, you reject my word, I will also reject you. Hosea 6.6, he tells them again, I desire, now this is God speaking, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God in our heart more than burnt offerings. You know what he's saying there? It's not about showing up. It's not about going through motions. Making a checklist every Sunday. I got up, I attended. Hey, we sang, we prayed. A word was spoken. I took communion. Checklist is done, I go on. He said, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in your checklist. I desire your heart. I desire you to learn about me. And I desire you then to take what you learn and have mercy on others because you learned that you needed mercy yourself. And what I desire above sacrifices in a checklist is you to learn and act. Jesus, it says, whenever they wrote the book of Luke, he goes, this is the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Luke wrote there in an Acts when he started that. You learn and then your life shows mercy to others. We don't just go through the motions. The prophet Isaiah wrote to the people in 28 verses 9 and 10. Whom then shall we teach knowledge to? And whom shall we make to understand our doctrine? That's why you always hear me use this word. Doctrine. The word of God is the doctrine for your life. In Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, whenever he's going through there, he says, stay in the doctrine Teach the doctrine to the people, and in by so doing, you will save not only yourself, but those who hear you. We stay in the doctrine, the Word of God, so that we can be delivered not only through the things in this life, but in the next life. It delivers us into a heavenly home as well. He said, "We're going. To, who are we going to teach knowledge to and to understand our doctrine? To those who are weaned from milk." Drawn from the breasts. In other words, we're growing up. We're not staying babes, but now we're starting to grow up. We're learning doctrine because we've got some milk underneath of us. And now we're going to start getting away from that. 
and start learning actual doctrines to apply to our life. Then, he says, how do you do that? How is the way that you teach the Word of God so that this becomes real? Look at verse 10. And he repeats each one of them for emphasis. Whenever the Bible repeats something, great emphasis is to be placed upon that. He says, this is what you do with my Word. Precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. And then line upon line and line upon line. You will teach my word and you will get a little here. You will get a little there. And by the time you're done, you will have a lot. And you will be dwelling underneath the shadow of the wings of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today in Psalm 91. The word of God has to be taught line by line. Verse by verse. And then precepts are like the things, the categories that you put things into. Grace, mercy, judgment, love, how we act. Those are precepts. You learn the word, you learn categories, and you put them together for how you do it. And a great place to start doing that is the Psalms. And you say, why the Psalms? Well... They are the inspired Word of God. Jesus Himself in Luke chapter 24, verse 44 said this, This is what I told you while I was yet with you. Everything that was written concerning Me, from the law of Moses, from the prophets, and from the Psalms, has to be fulfilled. Jesus Himself has told us that the Psalms, in particular, our inspired Word of God. These things speak of me. But every page of the Old Testament, he says the law, he says the Psalms, and the prophets. Every page talks about me. In Ephesians 5.19, it says that we are to speak to one another as we gather together in what? Psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit. We teach each other with these. In Colossians 3 and 16, it says, What? Let the message of who? Christ. Speak to us and dwell among you richly in all of the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs. So as we were singing this morning, God of wonder... Our majesty, you are holy. These are speaking to us. They are teaching us things. But it's the Psalms in particular that seems to get singled out. And it says the message of Jesus Christ is on every page of those Psalms. Now, there's 150 Psalms. If we're to teach precept upon precept, line upon line. If we were to cover one Psalm a week. It would take almost three years to just go through the Psalms. I did it. Hey Siri, tell me how many chapters are in the Bible. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, came the answer from Siri. I said, okay, divide that by 52 because there's 52 weeks in a year. That would be 28.39 
So in other words, if we did a chapter a week, line on line, precept, precept, almost 29 years to go through the Word of God. Wow. What a daunting task. And you guys know I don't make it through a chapter. (laughs) Usually it's a, a couple of times. I'm figuring, Siri, how long will it take me to get through 95.6 years, so we better get cracking, because I don't think I got that long. So if you got your Bibles open, Psalm 91, let's see what the message of Christ is in this psalm. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And then I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge And my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fouler snare and from the deadly pestilence that's to come. He will cover me with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness, his faithfulness, not mine, his will be my shield and my rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks you in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. You will only observe with your eyes the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High to be your dwelling place. No harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. We're only going to get through four verses this week. (laughs) Come back next week, because we're going to finish this, and we're going to talk about your guardian angels a little bit too. He will give His angels concern over you to guard you in your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because He loves me. Now this is God speaking about us. When you have done these things, when you've made God your fortress and your dwelling place, God says, because He loves me, I will rescue Him. I will protect Him, for He acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will deliver Him and honor Him with long life. I will satisfy And show him my salvation. Tradition ascribes Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 as being written by Moses. This psalm, it says, was probably written by Moses while they were preparing for the ten plagues. When Pharaoh was rejecting, when he said, let my people go, and he began to be angry that these Hebrews want to rise up and leave. And he said, put the taskmasters on them, make them make bricks without straw, 
work them hard. And when all of that was happening, and the people were complaining to Moses because now they were getting hardship because of what he was doing, Moses starts writing Psalm 91. And if you look down through there, like starting in verse 5 for the next few verses, and it talks about the darkness and the pestilence and the things, those were the plagues. And he's getting ready to tell them that these things are going to come around. But if you make God your dwelling place, you're only going to see it with your eyes. It's not going to affect you. And he is giving them this word. It reached out. This psalm did 1400 years later to Jesus Christ. And when he was facing his darkest day. Just like the Hebrews were. And the children of Israel there. With the time of Moses in their captivity. When Jesus was going through his temptations. And his trials in that wilderness from Satan. Satan quotes these verses to him. And says... Go ahead and jump because God has said that He will provide His angels charge over you and you're not going to dash your foot. Nothing is going to happen to you. Go ahead and do it. Jesus didn't deny the power that was in this psalm. He just said that's not the right application of it. But He didn't deny the power that was behind it. So, as we look at verse 1 then, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. First off, we're not talking about just anybody. We're talking about the Most High. Whenever it says the Most High, there's none higher. So where else would you go in a time of trouble? Where else would you go for someone to steer your life then than to the Most High God? He's also the God Almighty, it says at the end of this verse. So if you... Dwell in the shelter of the Most High. You will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And right away I see also that not only is God most powerful, most high, but God is also my shelter. And I also see something else. I have a choice to make in the matter, don't I? Where do I want to dwell? Where do I want to live? That's my choice. The whole thing here is a question. Where do you want to live? If you will dwell and make your shelter with the Most High, with God Almighty, then He will promise you these things. So it's my choice that has to be made of where I want to live and dwell and put my trust in. This psalm is what's called an antiphonal psalm. And in other words, Moses was a brilliant man. He was trained up in Pharaoh's house. That was where the center of knowledge was at that time. Engineering, warfare, music, all of the arts. He was a great musician, songwriter. This is an antiphonal psalm, which means two-part harmony. There's the first verse is second person, who is like giving out the directive. The next one is first person, me, the receiver of it, giving an answer. Notice how it changes. If, you know, if you make your dwelling place. Verse 2 says then, I will now say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. I have made the decision to dwell there. He is my fortress and my refuge. And then it's a personal pronoun. My God. I have accepted this, my God, in whom I 
now trust. To dwell, there is a unique verb. It doesn't mean to just have a shelter. This is a unique verb that captures both mental and physical. It means to sit there on a cold winter evening with a fire in the fireplace crackling, sitting in your comfortable easy chair. That's your physical position and everything is perfect. It's like a Norman Rockwell painting. And then on top of that, my favorite show is on NFL football. Yours might be something else. Yours might be a good book that you're curled up with. It might be the Word of God that you're curled up with. But it denotes, this dwelling denotes both satisfaction of mind and body. It captures both of these. It says, I am going to dwell there. And it says that it's in in the original language. And the King James captures this. And I'll say this about three times through here because the King James is capturing words correctly where the NIV is not capturing them correctly. The NIV tries to get you the understanding of something, but it doesn't capture what the original said. It says the secret place of God. God is going to bring you into His secret place of shelter. You're not exposed whenever you choose to make your dwelling there. He covers you like the hen does her chicks. Like the eagle protects its nest you're not exposed outwardly to this you are in the secret place you are happy and content if i choose to have el yaun god almighty as the one who takes care of me and be my refuge and my shelter colossians 3 verses 1 through 3 also kind of connotes that for us in the new testament It gives us what's known as positional truth. So keep that thought in your head going forward. Here's another foundation we're laying. Positional truth. Positional truth means who I am in Christ. Not because of who and what I am. I'm nothing. Not because of anything I can do or say. But because of my position in Christ. I am somebody. It says in Colossians 3, 1 through 3. That if you are risen with Christ, if you have been baptized into Christ and been raised with Him, then it says, you choose Him as your dwelling and allow Him to dwell in you. Your life is now hid in Christ Jesus. The secret place. Whenever your dwelling is with Him and Him with you, you are now in the secret place of Christ. That is our position that we are now placed into by faith. Verse 1 is telling us that here, that the Psalms are speaking the wonderful message of Christ to be able to dwell within us, to give us peace, comfort, safety, rest, a tranquility that we want. And because we become aware of the unseen realm, the unseen realm, once we now are getting aware of it, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 says, We fix our eyes then, not on what we see, the storms raging around us in life. We don't fix our eyes on what we can see and what's going on around us, but on what is unseen, who is covering me and keeping me in his secret place. Since what is seen here is temporary, this is short time. But what is unseen is eternal.
eternal. So focus your eyes and your mind and your thoughts on what is unseen, not what you see. And we are in Christ, then we are residing in an eternal bunker system, basically, a protective system. It is a statement of absoluteness in here that you will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And it says, I will find rest and peace. And I'm saying, when? It doesn't seem like that in my life. And he goes, oh yeah. If you sit back and see the unseen realm and you realize where your position is in Christ and quit looking at what's going on around you, then you will begin to have this peace and tranquility that I'm telling you about. The, the deliverance, the impact of these verses, I cannot give to you enough of how important this is. The shadow of the Almighty, if I am in His, if I am in His shadow, what does that mean? He is in front of me. Actually, He's all around me because any way the light would come, I am in His shadow. Any way the trouble comes, I am in His shadow and protected because He has me completely covered in His secret place. And then, have you ever had someone do this for you? Or have you ever seen it in like one of the old Western movies or something? That you see a bully picking on someone else and the star character like John Wayne comes up in between and he says, you're going to have to go through me first before you go through there. That's what standing in the shadow is. Our God, Most High, Almighty, puts Himself between me and Satan, between me and problems. And He says, you're in my shadow and you have to go through me first before you get to Him. That's what this verse is saying to you when it says you are in His shadow. God is between you and the problem taking care of it. You know what the cool thing about this is? It's in the imperfect tense in the original language. Perfect means it's something that's already happened. Imperfect means ongoing, not ending. So there's not a time if you choose to dwell underneath my wings, in my secret place, behind my shadow, there's not going to be a time that this is not going to happen. That I am not standing between you and the problem. And again, not because of what I've done, it's because of what His Son has done. And His Son provided the way. And then when I believed in Him in faith and gave that to Him, I am now in Him, He is in me, And he is the one that says, Father, this is mine. And the Father stands and protects us because of our position in Christ. And I am an heir then. I am now able to say, Daddy, Abba, Father, and go to him. And he is faithful to protect his children. And if we can get that into our minds, if my thick skull can grasp a hold of that, then I will always be able to have tranquility because I realize that this means nothing. This is temporary. This isn't my home. I'm just passing through. I'm focused on what's unseen and where I'm going. Then I am now in that protection. Verse 2 tells us something. Then I can say in all confidence of the Lord, He is my refuge 
and my fortress. He becomes a refuge and a fortress. Big and little. A refuge is a small place. You're out somewhere and a storm comes. You've got to get under an umbrella. You've got to get under a tiki hut. You've got to get under rocks, something. That's a refuge in a time of need. A fortress is a big thing. It's the Army, Navy, Marines, National Guards, the, everybody in homeland security that protects us. That's the entire fortress. You know what that means? God is concerned about His children in a small storm or in a big thing. He's got a plan to cover everything that you need. If I just need a small thing, all I've got to do is think, okay, 1 John 1.9, we've been covering this with Joseph. 1 John 1.9, I need to confess my faults before God. He is then faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Now I have fellowship with Him. His protection is in gear. So then I can pick one of the other scriptures to go with that. Romans 8.28, this is going to work out for my good. Or I can put 1 Peter 5.7 and say, I am casting my cares upon you, Lord, and I am walking away. That is your refuge. Your small protection, your large protection, your fortress may say, wow, this is overwhelming. I got to go down. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pull up the New Life web page or the Facebook page. And I'm going to utilize the sermon tab or the podcast. And I remember in Joseph, we had six lessons on how God was with him every step of the way. Whether his family was deserting him, whether he was in captivity with the Midianites on the camel train, whether he was in Potiphar's house, whether he was in the prison. I've got six lessons that I can open my Bible out. We went through about 15 promises there. And I can put those together and I can go over them as many times as possible And now I am building my fortress. There's a category to cover every need that we have. He's provided a system of protection for us through all of this. Either a big one or a little one. I have a way. All I got to do is claim it and take hold of it. And he says then, my God. I will be able to say that possessive pronoun. He is mine in whom I trust. And it says there for trust, that's... That's that word ball tack again for the wrestling fans. This word for trust started out being a wrestling term. It meant that you get the advantage, you pick something up, and you pile drive it to the ground. And it's a finishing move. It's a move that that opponent does not get back up. So then what trust means is I can walk away and turn my back on it And walk away because it's been put down and I don't have to worry about it attacking me anymore. So then trust, batak, came to mean that if I slam my problems down before the throne and I give them to God and put my cares upon Him and walk away, I am trusting in Him. I am batakking Him to take my problem and I no longer bear it. 
Many times I'm stupid because I keep going back and trying to pick my problem back up that I have slammed down. He says, slam it down, leave it on. And it actually became a military term after that to where the commanding officer takes care of the problem for you. If you will allow it, our commanding officer, Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity is our commanding officers. And if I slam my burden down before them, they are faithful and just to take my burden and carry it. But if I'm silly, I'm going to go keep trying to put my pack back on. Don't do that. Cast it down for a final time and walk away from it. And that is trust when you can turn your back and walk away from what it is that's bothering you. Then I get to the point in my walk where I realize that there are some tremendous promises in here. Now I'm beginning to grow. I'm getting away from the milk and I'm getting more mature. And now it says in verse 3, Surely He, and that's my God in whom I'm entrusting in the previous verse, surely He, promise, will save you from the fowler's snare and from the perilous pestilence that's around you. Save or deliver from the fowler. How many of you would read past Fowler and just go on? Think, ah, that don't bother me. Maybe a prowler, but not a fowler. What's a fowler got to do with my life? Never heard of it. Oh, no. A fowler is just as prevalent today as it was back here in the time of the Psalms. A a fowler is a man or a woman who trains hunting birds. Have you seen like at the big game, Super Bowl, they will take like a falcon or something, and one will release it, and that bird will fly across the stadium, pick out the subject on the other end he's supposed to go to, and then swoop down and land on his wrist. Those are fowlers. Those are people who have trained birds of prey to hunt other birds of prey back in this time. They would hunt quail, pigeons, chickens, pheasants, whatever it was, Rabbits, small game. That's what a fowler did. Later on, this became known as a tube. People said, we can replace the fowler. We'll take a tube and we'll put gunpowder at one end and shot in the other. And the first weapon that was made in the United States of America and manufactured is called the fowling piece. The The shotgun, as it is now called, was designed after the fowler. It is designed to be a weapon to take down birds. It was a hunter's for pheasants and quail and game. The first ones manufactured in America was a fowling piece. You know who the fowler is? Satan. The fowler is the Satan and we are going to be delivered from Satan This says, it is our enemy. It is the one who is training his demons, his birds of prey to come out and to get us. He is the fowler who is hunting you and I, like Peter says, as a roaring lion. He is there with his birds all around. He uses 
snare, it says. He will save you from the fowler's snare. A snare is a trap. And a trap has a couple of things. A trap has a bait, something to lure you to that point, And then it has something that will bind you or take control of you. Whether it's false doctrine. Oh, I'm okay with everything. Whether it's temptations. Whether it's whatever. You fill in the blank That's why it just says snares. God is smart. He doesn't put a particular thing on it because your thing doesn't bother me and mine doesn't bother you. It's a snare to you as an individual whatever your weakness is, whatever your trouble is, whatever you let bother you from Him, that's your snare. And the fowler has his birds of prey looking to snare You and I. And he says, I will deliver you from whatever your snare is. If you choose to put your dwelling place with me, I will hide you in the secret place. And you will not be prone to this. The devil uses everything he can. But my God is going to deliver me when you make him personal with you. And the verse continues from the perilous pestilence. Ah, Havad mid Davar. It's not just it's not just a pestilence. This word means mental trauma. It says, I will save you from the snare, and not only that, from the mental pestilence that is involved. With the snare. Because you see. What really bothers you. Is what's going on right here. Not out here. We've already took care of out here. When I started doing the dwelling place. Remember that word said both. Outside and in. You're comfortable both ways. The way to get to you though. Is to attack inside. And this says. I'm going to take you from the snare. Of the temptation. And from whatever has been. Bothering you in the past. I will be able to get rid of it. I will release you and save you from these. This word, Hava Mid Dabar, is translated four different ways in other passages to give you an idea of why I'm telling you that's what it means. It's translated as evil desires in Psalm 52. It's translated as cravings. In Proverbs 10. Mischievous desires. In Micah chapter 7. And it's translated as greed. In Proverbs 11. So. Now we start to see the picture. These are mental type plagues. That are bothering you. It's the trauma. The craving. The desires. That plague you. Like a swarm of locusts. That you cannot get out of. What was one of the plagues that happened in Moses' time in Egypt? It was the swarms of locusts. This is the promise to them that it's not going to affect you. 
application. Remember in Joseph we said there's knowledge, but knowledge without application is nothing. The application is the Word of God applies to me today the same as it applied to them in Egypt 4,000 years ago. So the application is to me, they sat there in their land and the locusts didn't come because they were dwelling where they were supposed to be in God's promised place, in His secret place that He had prepared for them. Everyone else who was outside of that place had a plague of locusts that stripped everything away. This verse promises you, dwell with me. Choose to make me your habitation. Choose to allow me to cover you and place you in my shadow. And when I become your God, personal pronoun, when I become your God, I will deliver you. I will reach out and keep you and protect you from the pestilence, the cravings, the desires, the trauma of your mentality that the fowler is trying to place upon you. So then, if I desire to be delivered, to be rescued from the devil and his mental snares that he has trained his demons over these thousands and thousands of years to be good at getting to us, then what do I have to do? If I would be free, let's review this. This is so important. Let's review. If I would be free from the clutches of the fowler and his snare, what do I do? I am to choose to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. There, in the shadow of the Almighty, is where I will find rest. If I believe that He is my refuge in small problems, if He is my fortress in big problems, if He will become my God personally, I am to slam my problems down to Him And walk away and turn my back and trust that he has taken that and wholly promised, do that. He has promised me then, I will deliver you. I will rescue you from the enemy who is hunting me down like a little defenseless pigeon. My God, in whom I trust, promises me that he will deliver me from the devil's trap from the mental torture and agony and temptations that he has designed to wear me down so that I walk away from God. And not only that, verse 4 now summarizes all of this for us. He will cover you with his feathers. That's tenderness. That's motherly care. And under his wings you will find your refuge. His faithfulness, again, not mine, If it was based on that, it would be terrible. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart, your buckler. The passage hinges upon our understanding of what a fowler is and who he is and what he's trying to do to us both mentally and physically in this life. On our own, if I am out of the nest and I say, I don't want to dwell there with you. I am on my own, and on my own, I 
am not powerful. I have no defense against the evil one. It is then my choice to dwell where safety is if I want to enjoy that safety. Outside of it, I'm a sitting duck. I'm toast. To repeat where we started from, the question is, where do you want to dwell? Where are you making the decision to place your dwelling at? Is it in the nest or outside of the nest? This is a picture of a mother eagle taking care of her children. Did I ever tell you also that the root word for this dwelling here is breasts? For the Almighty God is, is breasts? I can tell you haven't been aware of that. What does that say? A young baby who is defenseless, helpless, cannot provide its own food, its own shelter, anything on its own has to be nurtured, has to be protected, has to have everything provided for us. That's what the Almighty comes from as the root. He is the one who provides everything that I need. The nurturing, the sustenance to take me from a baby to an eagle myself that I can soar now on the wings of eagles, but I have to stay in the nest. I have to allow Him to nurture me line upon line, precept upon precept, to grow and get away from that at the proper time. And when you do, then your dwelling place is mobile because now you have all of that with you and you carry it with you in your mind and your shelter, we will find out next week, always remains with us when we get to that point. God's desire, though, that I want to get across today is to do that, to cover you, for you to make that decision to follow Him and allow Him to cover you with those wings and to take care of you and to find your refuge there. And now this word for refuge here, it's the same word they translated back up in verse 2 and verse 1, but this is a different word altogether. This refuge is kasa, and kasa combines both of what we talked about, the physical and mental parts in the first one where your dwelling was. This says now, because I am trusting in Him, this is where I am. It's a trusted faith. He has brought me through these little things. He has proven me in these first three verses that I that He does take care of me if I dwell with Him. And He is delivering me from the charge of the elephant, the big problems that I need a fortress, and the swarm of mosquitoes, the little problems that's annoying. He's taking care of all of those. I now place a trust and I casa. I can now trust fully. I am relaxed in the way I am handling the situation. He is now my trusted shelter. I know that I can go to Him in any time and be taken care of. And now you are beginning to carry your shelter with me or dwelling in the shelter all the time. And then there's, this word has much imagery to the Hebrew people at the time that they were reading this. It's the word that's used for the protection of the coney. Some people called it a, a, a type of a rabbit. It looks to me like a little squirrel 
groundhog baby or something, but a coney dwelled in the rocks, in the mountains. He is defenseless against the fowler, against the bird of prey. They love to have that as their snack and to feast upon it, just as Satan would like to do that with us. But Proverbs, start out first, it says in Psalm 104, in verse 18, that the high mountains belong to the wild goats, and the crags of the rocks of the mountains are a refuge for the coney. And in Proverbs, in chapter 30, it's giving you four things of smart animals there. And number two on the smart animal is the coney who knows he's defenseless, who knows he needs a shelter and a refuge. So that's where he lives. And he lives there and he's designed to live there so that at the sight of any trouble, he can go inside those huge rocks and escape the tempter's snare. That's what our Lord is to be with us. That's what this word means, that if I am smart, I will be like the coney and dwell in the rocks to where I can be sheltered in the secret places of God. It says, he knows that he's a feeble folk. That's where I run into problems. I don't realize sometimes I'm a feeble folk. I think I'm 10 foot tall and bulletproof, to quote Travis Tritt. That's not the case. I'm a coney. I am a feeble folk, and I need a rock to climb behind. And now, verse 4 ends with these last two examples for us. His faithfulness will be your shield and your buckler. The word for faithfulness there, again, King James gets it right. It's emeth in the original, which means to be truth. It's truth. That's what it means, pure truth. And what's that mean? Thy word is what? So what is the word? The word becomes your shield and your buckler. The word for shield is the big shield. If you ever seen the marching lines out there in the medieval times, they would have shields about this tall, and the front rows would come up like that and kneel behind it so that they would not get the fiery darts upon them. That's a big shield. Goliath had one, and he had a young boy that carried that shield out in front of him. That's the big problems. That's when the fortress is called for. The buckler is a small shield, the one that was carried by the person as he walked around and could whip out his sword and get into the fight. The word of God, truth, his truth, his faithfulness through his word tells me that he is my, my shield in a big problem. He's my buckler in a small problem. I am taken care of no matter what happens, whether I have to hunker down behind the 7,000 promises that are in the word of God or if I only need one or two that I carry around with me for every situation. So as our worship team makes their way on back up, Jesus said just before his crucifixion, he taught this. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who have been sent to you. How many times I would have desired to gather you together as the hen does her chickens 
and her little chicks and put them underneath of you for protection. But you were not what? Willing. You were not willing. How many times God wants to protect us, put us underneath those wings, but you were not willing. I pray today that nobody leaves from here not willing to make the Lord their refuge after all of the promises that we just heard that is there for us. These are promises. God breathed. I will be all of these things to you if you're willing. Jerusalem wasn't willing. 70 A.D., His prophecy came true that not one stone was left upon another. It was completely ransacked. Same thing with my life. If I'm unwilling, the fowler's going to get me. He's got too many snares, too many traps. Where do I want to dwell? Where do I want to live? Lastly, there's a promise from the Father. Please store these main points in your mind. Take them with you. Whoever chooses to dwell in my shelter, the Most High God, I promise you'll find rest. You will be in the shadow of the Almighty, the one who nurtures you like the baby on its mother's breast. And as a baby fully rests and trusts in the one that's taking care of it, that's what you will do and you will begin to say, He is my God. He is my God. My refuge, my fortress, in whom I now trust. Then, surely, it says, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the mental torments, temptations, and trials and problems. You will learn to look at the unseen realm and not the seen realm. You will learn that He is delivering you and that He is covering you with His feathers. Under His wings, you will find trusted place in his word of shelter and he will be your shield and buckler and I'll close with Ephesians chapter 6 when it talks about that our warfare is not with people it's not with things around us it's not with flesh and blood but against the principalities and powers of darkness that surrounds us and what does Paul write there and says to take with you the shield of faith Didn't he just say that my word will be your shield and your buckler? If you will carry my shield with you, it will put out all the fiery arrows of the one who is trying to snare you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promise you've laid before us in your word. The message of Christ dwelling richly upon this page of the protection that we have in Him by position in Him. I see care, nurturing, love, tenderness, deliverance, protection. And it's my choice. I pray, Father, I choose wisely. In Your name I pray. Amen.